Amen. I can't wait for that day. Amen. I think about it all the time, about the crowds, the multitudes, the people represented of every tribe and every tongue of every nation, hand in hand around the throne of God. That's what missions is all about, like Michael said. Uh, we have the mandate for global outreach to the ends of the earth. We do that through various means. Starting right here in our communities, we all each have a responsibility to reach the people next to us. But one way that this church participates in that global outreach initiative is through faith promise giving. And at the end of the service, we will give you an opportunity to make a pledge towards that this year. So we want to give you a heads up right now just so you can be praying that much more throughout the service. Uh, in your brochure this morning, you see a faith promise card. On the back, you see uh, various levels to give. But what you won't see is your name on this. It is anonymous. It's a pledge between you and the Lord. Something that you pray about, you ask the Lord what you are able to give, and we give with the expectation that God will provide the means for that gift. This church, I can't say enough, has been so faithful over the years through God's provision. Uh, we had a 98% return on our commitments last year, which is tremendous. This is something that just doesn't happen uh, in our sister churches. We thank you for your, your faithfulness in that. I'm looking forward to another great year. We gave over $145,000 through Faith Promise last year. We would encourage you that if you've given last year to keep giving so we can keep supporting those that we partner with. Uh, if you haven't gave before, now's the time to start. Even if it's a simple dollar a month, something just to start, that stepping of faith, it all adds up. If you've given before, you can give more, then we encourage you to do that as well. Just give as the Lord leads. Again, we'll be asking for that at the end of the service. Um, now we're going to transition to hear from Brother Scott Hudgens. He and his family have been longtime partners with us here at First Baptist. We first saw them around 2000-ish. 2001 is when we took them on for support. Back then, they were missionaries to the Middle East in some uh, very interesting areas. And I'll let him maybe share more of that later today. But uh, we've partnered with them for over 17 years now. Around 2007, uh, God trans transitioned them to Columbia. And that's where they've been ever since. Uh, he's here with his family. You, you can find them in the missions brochure, more about them. Scott and Christy Hudgens. And if you can't remember their names, uh, all their children are in there, including Joy and Chandler and Chase and Ch uh, Chad. Family's grown over the years, as families tend to do, but they're a, a great family. Look forward to hearing more and more about them and their ministry today. Be sure to come back this afternoon after lunch. Uh, we're thinking around 1.15 or so, depending on what time we get out, and hear a lot more about the specifics of his ministry. But right now, we're going to invite Brother Scott up, and you make him feel welcome as he presents this morning's message. Good morning. It is great to be here in Bologna. Thank you so much for the years of support. Uh, one of the uh, honors that we have as missionaries to be able to come back to the churches that have partnered with us and say thank you. Uh, really, honestly, we cannot do what we do without churches like yours. And uh, we recognize that and being able to come back and say, hey, this is what God has been doing. Uh, it's not us. It's 
a team, right? We're partners in this together. Paul calls it partners in the gospel. And he says it's not about the gift that you give us. It's not about that support. It's about fruit that abounds to your account. And uh, we are so blessed to be able to uh, partner with you all. And as James said, 17 years now. And uh, it's been a roller coaster all the way from the Middle East to Colombia. And great things are happening now. And it's all about Jesus Christ. We, we praised his name this morning. We talked about him. We sang about him because he is the one who is worthy. You know, missions begins and ends with worship. Tony read Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20 this morning. And it says that when they saw Jesus, when the 11 saw Jesus, what did they do? They worshiped him. They worshiped him. And then we fast forward throughout the years and we are around the throne of God and we see people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And what are they doing? Worshiping. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's not about traveling. It's not about learning new languages. It's not really about those things. It's about spreading the name of Jesus Christ and seeing his name exalted and seeing people from all around the world worshiping his name. Worshiping him with their lives. Being willing even to give their lives. I think it's very interesting that when we read Acts 1.8, it says that Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. And as the disciples heard that, they knew what that meant. Because in the original Greek, that re, that there's a word that we understand from that. And that is the word martyr. And the disciples knew that if they were going to go out and spread the name of Jesus Christ unto the uttermost, they knew that part of that was the possibility of giving their lives for the cause. And as we think about that this morning, I'd like to show you a picture. This man is Thomas Baker. Well, back in 1859, he took the gospel to Fiji. How many of you like to go to Fiji? Absolutely. Well, back in 1859, Thomas Baker was the, actually the very first person to ever take the gospel to Fiji. When we lived in the Middle East, we were part of a small group, and uh, there was a, a lady from, the, uh, from uh, the United Kingdom, from England, involved in that small group. And she told us a story one night. She met a young lady from Fiji. And uh, so they were talking, and uh, it was an interesting conversation. And, and the young lady from Fiji found out that our friend was from England. And she said, oh, wow, Thomas Baker's from England. You know, and if it wasn't for Thomas Baker, I wouldn't be a believer today. And so she said, thank you so much for sending Thomas Baker. And she's just expressing her thanks. And she said, thank you so much for sending him. Sorry we ate him. Thomas Baker and seven others from his team were cannibalized. And the question that, that I have is why? Why is it that, you know, if you, if you go to the Fiji right now and you go to the museum there, I've never been there, but there you will see his leather soles and his Bible there in Fiji. 
They remember that event. And it was just recently in the 2000s where they actually had a special forgiveness ceremony where the descendants of the tribe that ate, uh, that cannibalized Thomas Baker and his team met with the descendants of Thomas Baker and they had a forgiveness ceremony. And the big question is, is why would Thomas Baker be willing to go to a place like that? Why is it that I have friends who live in Iraq and during the, during, during the hard times of ISIS where they had opportunity to escape but chose to stay in order to be a light despite the threats on their lives? And the question I have is why would they be willing to do that? Why is it that there are so many missionaries that you all support that are willing to leave their home and go to the uttermost? Why is it that churches like First Baptist Church of Valonia, why are you willing to give of your pocketbooks, your hard-earned money, and give? Why? Well, I believe that John chapter 14, verse 6, I believe that this is reason enough to give, reason enough to go, reason enough to lay down our lives. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, if he really is the only way and the only truth and the only life, then that is reason enough. It means that there is no other way. And so that compels us to give and to go and to pray. It compels us. In Islam, Muslims have a creed. Maybe you've heard their creed. It's la ilaha illallah wa Muhammad rasulallah. Which means there is no God but God and Muhammad is his messenger. And they will repeat that over and over and over throughout the day. And before they even kill themselves, they will say, Allahu Akbar, God is the greatest. And you will hear this all throughout the Middle East. And all throughout the world as Islam grows to all regions of the world. But we as Christians also have a creed. See, Muslims are willing to die for their creed. Are we willing to die for our creed? What is our creed? 1 Timothy 2.5 says, for there is one God. See, we believe that there is one God. See, that's the first part of the Muslim's creed. La ilaha illallah. There is one God. But here's where the, come, the difference comes. And there is one mediator between God and men. And who is that man, church? Jesus Christ. You see, this is reason enough to go to places where it is difficult, where it is dark, where the spiritual oppression is heavy. And you can feel it. Places where we have lived. 
places where we have gone. But the fact that Jesus is the only mediator between God and man compels us to go, compels us to send. That answers the question why. And I can imagine that when the tribe in Fiji cannibalized Thomas Baker and his team, I believe that, that I can imagine that Satan was saying, I've done it. I'm winning I'm gaining territory. I'm gaining ground. I'm stopping the flow of the gospel. I can imagine that when Islam was invented, I can, I can probably hear him saying that this is the answer. This is going to stop the way. And for generations and generations we have seen that. But today, because of ISIS and because of other things happening in this world, there are more Muslims coming to know Christ than ever before in all of history. The harvest truly is ready. We just need to go. You see, Satan thinking with my strategies, my strategies working. I'm gaining territory, but why didn't it work? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always, always leads us in what? Triumphal procession. Victory. And, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Where? Everywhere. Church, what's this, what, what does this mean? It means that we will march around the world with the name of Jesus Christ and it doesn't matter what Satan does to us. It doesn't matter what his allies do to us. They can kill us. They can try to stop us. But it will not work. We will always march around victoriously with the gospel. And that is a promise. And that's why we read in Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 that there will be people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation around the throne. That is a promise. And we will get to experience that. You will get to experience that if you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. I can imagine that Satan thought that he really had found someone who would really do his bidding through a man named Saul. And if you would, please turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 9. This man named Saul says there in verse 1 that he was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. This isn't just something that he did. He was breathing this out. This is part of him. This is part of his nature. This is his passion in life. In fact, Saul really believed that this, what he was doing was in service to God. Sound familiar? And as we think about Muslims all around the world, and as we think about ISIS, and we think about other groups and terrorism, and we can think that they 
believe they are doing this for God. This is what Saul was doing. Threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And we continue. It says that he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul was willing to travel the known world in order to do what he could to stop the way. What he didn't realize was the way really refers to not just a group of people, but really to the person of Jesus Christ. Of course, as we read on in the story, he learns that. Verse 3, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. You see, Saul believed that this name was just of a man who had died And there were rumors going around that his disciples were spreading around that he had risen from the dead. And now he has an encounter with him. An encounter with Jesus Christ. Who are you? I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting. Verse 6 says, But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do now right now in Saul's life he has a choice you see he doesn't know Jesus he just has had an encounter with him but he's realized wait a second Jesus isn't dead he's alive and he's talking to me so I believe that he's starting to put things together he doesn't have it all figured out at all But Jesus gives him an instruction. Go into Damascus. Wait there. He has a choice. Is he going to obey Jesus? Or is he going to choose to go back to Jerusalem? You know, he just lost his sight. This is what the the story says. He falls to the ground. And in other places it says that he had lost his sight. you got to understand that he has to be confused. So he has a choice. Am I going to obey Jesus? I believe that it is at this point where we begin to see a change, a transformation in this man named Saul. Because what does he do? He chooses to go. He goes to Damascus. You see, as we look at Saul's life, and it's, so, it's really hard to call him Saul. Because we know him as Paul. And Jesus transforms his life. And so I want Paul's transformed life to inspire us. I want his life to inspire you. First of all, to love Jesus. To love him. But not just to say you love him. Not just to come in on Sunday morning and raise our hands and praise his name. And say we love him and sing that we love him on Sunday morning but to love him with 
our obedience. Jesus said that if you really do love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, loving Jesus is shown. We demonstrate that through an obedient life. And this is what we see in Paul's life. From the very beginning, his first encounter, he obeys. And as we read throughout the New Testament, this is what we see in his life. Obviously, he was, a, he was not a perfect man. But man, he loved Jesus. We see him obeying him. Now, as we read on in the story in Acts chapter 9, it says that there was also, in verse 10, there was another disciple. Now, this disciple is named Ananias. Jesus went to him into a, in a vision as well, and he said, Ananias. And Ananias responds, here am I, Lord. Verse 11, and the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. You see, Lord, you want me to go and talk to him? Don't you, re- don't you realize who he is? He is a terrorist. He is terrorizing your church. And you want me to go and talk to him? You want me to approach him? Ananias also has a choice. You see, sometimes Jesus asks us to do hard things. Things that we don't understand. Things that require faith. God, you want me to give how much to faith promise? God, you want me to talk to whom? God, you want me to go where? The question is, are we going to be obedient? Do we really love Jesus? Ananias continues, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said unto him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias goes, he obeys. And I believe that he has a really interesting conversation with this ex-terrorist. Can you guys imagine that? And then Saul tells him, guess who I met on the road to Damascus? I met Jesus. And Ananias says, I know him. 
And he has a message for you. He is going to transform you. He is going to transform you from being a persecutor to a propagator. You have been persecuting the church, but now you are going to propagate its message. God is going to transform you from being a persecutor to the one being persecuted. And as you look, go home, read the New Testament, you will see that this is true. And all throughout that, even throughout those difficulties, Paul chooses to love Jesus with his obedience. As the story continues there in Acts chapter 9, verse 19, it says that he was there for some days with the disciples at Damascus. You guys must understand this. These are the same disciples of the way of Jesus that he was planning on taking bound to Jerusalem. And see, a true reality, a reality that happens in our world today in places like the Middle East and in other places in the 1040 window where it is difficult to know the reality of a person, whether or not a person is being sincere. A person in Iraq trusts Christ as their Savior, goes to the church. The church has a choice. Will we believe this person is being sincere and receive him in faith? Or will we choose to believe he is a liar? And here we have an example in the Bible of how the church believes the person and receives that person in faith. I have seen this in the Middle East. You really never know who you're talking to. But we choose to believe that God is at work in that person's life and you receive that person. So these are the same disciples that he was planning on persecuting. They receive him. He receives strength. And I want you to notice something there in verse 20. After he's with them a few, for a few days, what does he do? He immediately proclaims Jesus. He immediately shares Jesus. He immediately preaches Jesus. Where? In the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. So we're talking about days after Losing his sight on the road to Damascus. Just days. He hears the plan that God has for him. And what does he do with that? He embraces it. And here it says that he immediately went out and preached Jesus. Verse 21. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? Is this not the man who stood by when Stephen was stoned because he was consenting unto his death? Is this not the same man? 
And has he not come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? Verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. You see, as we look at Paul's life, his transformed life, it should inspire us to love Jesus, but not just to hold him here. It should inspire us to share Jesus. You see, if you love Jesus, you really will share him with others. Saul set out to destroy the way, to destroy the name of Jesus Christ, to destroy the flow of the gospel. And now we read in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, we see the transformation of Jesus Christ in his life because he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He said, I will not hold this inside. I will do what I can do in order to share Jesus. I will do what I can do to embrace the Great Commission because it is my commission. And as we read the Great Commission this morning, as Tony read that this morning, I ask you, do you believe it is your commission? Have you embraced that personally? To make disciples of all nations. You see, that commission wasn't just given to a few people. It wasn't just given to a few believers, a few followers of Jesus Christ. It was given to all followers of Jesus Christ. And if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today, you say, I am a follower, then it is your commission Will you love Jesus and will you share Jesus? Because apart from Jesus, there is no salvation. There is no other name. Acts 4.12 says there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And this morning, if you are one that has trusted in that name then he has commissioned you to carry that name before the people around you in your circle of influence let me ask you a question are you sharing Jesus within your circle or have there been times and we all this has all happened this has happened to all of us where we have been somewhere We've been at a coffee shop. We've been at McDonald's and Jesus says, you know what, I want you to talk to that person. And you're like, but I don't know that person. And we choose not to. We choose not to talk to that person. Where God says, I want you to talk to this person about Jesus Christ. I'm giving you an opportunity. I'm giving you an open door right now. And we turn the other way. We've all been there. When we do that, we are actually being ashamed 
of the gospel. We are choosing to disobey. And when we choose to disobey the Holy Spirit's leading in our life, guess what that is called? It is called sin. And as this morning, as you are being led in your life, you're thinking about people that need Christ. You're thinking about people around the world that have yet to hear. And God has been saying, I want you to go. And you've been saying, no, I have my life planned. I have plans. I have, I have ideas. I have things. I have dreams that I want to do. And it doesn't include that. If you say no, it is sin. If God has been telling you, Participate in faith promise. Send those who are willing to go. But you've been saying, no, I've got plans with my money. I've got cars to buy. I've got houses to build. I've got movies to buy. I've got computers to buy. i got to have the latest iPhone. See, when we choose to put our funds in other places when God has asked us to give and we know he has in our heart and we choose not to obey, it is sin. God is wanting your circle of influence to continually to grow. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8 he says that you will receive power, disciples, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost. He's saying, disciples, followers of Christ, I want your circle of influence to constantly grow. He is constantly wanting you to be thinking about the regions beyond, to go farther, to meet new people, to give more, to go more. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, it says, So that we may preach the gospel in the lands beyond you. Saul, Paul, is saying, Corinthians, I'm so happy that you accepted Christ. First Baptist Church, those here in Bologna and in the, in the, in this region, very thankful that you have accepted Christ. But you know what? We got to be thinking about more. The regions beyond. We got to be thinking beyond our little circle of influence and see it grow. Give more. Go more. Pray more. And this is the will of God in your life. The question is will you love Jesus enough? And will you choose to share Him? Let's pray. Father God, you are so good to us. You're gracious. We don't deserve the love that, that you showed on the cross. We certainly didn't deserve the blood that was shed. But through your blood, you buy us. You save us from our sin. It says that, Paul said that we were bought with a price. And the question that I ask myself, God, is, is, was I worth it? Was I worth it? What did you buy with your blood in my life? I pray that each one here will really consider that question. 
Was I worth it? What did you buy when you purchased me with your blood? Father God, pray for each one here that as we consider the Great Commission, making disciples of all nations and going all the way to the uttermost, doing our part as you empower us to be witnesses to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Pray for each one here that each one will embrace the Great Commission, that Saul's, Paul's life will inspire us, God, inspire us to love you and to love you with our obedience and to love you so much that we're willing to share you no matter the cost. God, we ask all these things because you are worth it. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. Thank you, God, for your love, for your initiative in our lives. May we have that kind of initiative. In your name we pray, amen.